Welcome back to our third and final installment of our look at the world wars uh, in our uh, look at chapter 20 in uh, AP World History. Uh, we're going to be diving into the Second World War. And uh, I do want to focus on some of the fighting because the book doesn't talk too much about that. Uh, but I also don't have a ton of time to talk about that because I don't want to take 20 minutes like I did for World War One. although World War Two should probably definitely take longer than World War I. Uh, but we'll try to just keep it around 15 to 20 minutes here. So, uh, Second World War happens in two fronts. You've got the Pacific Theater in Asia, and you've got the European Theater in Europe. Uh, Pacific Theater is going to be dominated by the U.S. and Japan, uh, and China's also going to be there, but they get beat up a lot. And then uh, in Europe, you've got uh, Germany, uh, Russia, Britain, France, and the U.S. So uh, let's start with the one that actually starts before, uh, or starts first, and that is the um, the Asian front, or the Asian theater, or the Pacific theater. Um, if you remember, I talked about this in the last podcast, that Japan needed to get resources, and one way to do that was to go and conquer parts of China. And so uh, they seized control of Manchuria in 1931, and that essentially starts World War II. Although you'll see the date usually listed as 1939 because it'll start in Europe. Uh, but this is really kind of the start of World War II, at least in the Pacific. And um, so uh, these actions are not liked by the League of Nations. Remember, that's the organization kept to or created to try to prevent World War II from happening. It fails miserably, and so they go and take Manchuria. And then in 1937, they attack more of mainland China. Uh, this leads to um, the U.S. kind of saying, well, we're not supporting you guys anymore. We're not giving you guys any more goods or anything like that. Uh, and so four years later, uh, when um, they are continuing to expand, uh, but now instead of going over land, they're looking to go over the water because the land invasion has kind of stalled out. Uh, they've they've lost to the Russians. Um they now look to the American colonies and trying to knock out America from this war because uh, if they bring America in, they know it's going to have to be quick because the U.S. has the resources to fight them off here, and they've only got a limited number of resources. So on uh, December 17, 1941, uh, they attack Pearl Harbor, but they attack several other colonies, Wake Island, uh, the Philippines, um, Midway. Uh, they attack all these different places. Um, actually, Midway... I think Midway was part of it. Uh, but they attack all these places and uh, surprise us. And uh, this will lead to the U.S. to enter the war. Uh, we didn't enter the war because of what Germany was doing. It didn't have anything to do with the Holocaust. We entered because the Japanese attacked us. And we were only going to focus on Japan. Uh, but, but Hitler then decided to say, well, I declare war in the U.S. And so now we're like, well, okay, fine. We'll go and fight in Europe too. Uh, we're one of the few nations uh, throughout history or states throughout history that has successfully fought a war on two separate fronts. Um, usually you can't do this. It takes a highly um, uh, highly industrialized society to be able to do this kind of stuff uh, with greater resources and everything else to be able to manage to send armies in different directions and supply both of them well enough. Um, uh, eventually, this, this theater of the war will end in 1945. It'll last uh, longer uh, than the European theater, uh, but it will end with the dropping of the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Now, in Europe, uh, you've got Germany going after um, their old 
old territories that they used to have or the Prussian territories that they used to have, like the Sudetenland, Czechoslovakia, Austria, Hungary, uh, Poland. Uh, they're going back all these to, to take these because of how they felt like they've been uh, hosed by the Treaty of Versailles. And uh, also Hitler's looking to gain something called Lebensraum or living space, which is what he needs for his Aryan race to help them populate. And that's really why he wants to go into Russia. Bad idea. Don't go into Russia. Just don't invade Russia, especially in the fall to the winter. The muddy months slow down your, um, the muddy season slows down your movement, and then you freeze to death in the winter. So not good. The only exception to this is if you're the Mongols because you're used to colder weather. So d d avoid going in invading Russia or the Soviet Union at this time, unless unless you're the Mongols. Um, but then I don't know how well horsebacks is going to work for uh, fighting is going to work in this kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, let's get back to the, the actual focus here. So uh, Germany goes and takes over these places, and they're able to do this because there's this appeasement policy going on where France and Britain are like, we really don't want to fight another war. Let's, uh, come on, Hitler, just let's make a deal. Uh, you can take this, but then you got to stop. Uh, well, you want a little bit more? Well, we can give you another little bit, but you really got to stop this next one. Uh, you're going to take Austria-Hungary now and bring them in. Well, they speak German. Okay, we can see that. Fine. Just stop. Don't don't touch Poland. If you touch Poland or anywhere else, we're now going to cause war. And Hitler said, okay, well, I'm going to call your bluff. And he attacks Poland, invades Poland with uh, the Soviet Union also attacking Poland to take over their territory they lost during World War One. And France and Britain go, okay, we can't stand for this. We declare war. And uh, Germany says, okay, great. And so they... Um, Using the same tactics that uh, they used in World War One, the French didn't learn. They built this whole Maginot line to try to stop a German invasion because, oh, the Germans are definitely going to come across our normal border. Well, no, actually what they did is they went through Belgium and Luxembourg. Really, uh, Luxembourg more this time. No, Belgium. Uh, more Belgium than Luxembourg. Uh, but they go through Belgium again, just like they did in World War One, and the French are surprised, and they get taken unawares. And uh, the whole Maginot line ends up being for naught. They spent millions of uh, livres on it, or you can think of dollars, and it fails miserably. And they get knocked out of the war from the beginning. And so it's really just left with Britain there uh, by the end of... Uh, 39, uh, I mean, it's pretty much just Britain. And Britain has to hold out until, um, or sorry, by 41. Uh, Britain has to hold out. And so you get this uh, battle known as the Battle of Britain, which is this air war to get air superiority between Britain and Germany. And the British will luckily win this. Uh, if they would have lost this, it would have led, up, led to a, a German invasion uh, of the island. Uh, but uh, Hitler did some stupid things in that, uh, actually, the British also did some stupid things um, in that they both changed or shifted their bombing of strategic sources for military. Uh, the Germans were doing a really, really, really good job of bombing and, and taking out the airfields. Uh, they were not able to replace the planes that they were losing. Um, and uh, one uh, unfortunate incident was bombers went and bombed London. Um, and so Churchill's like, well, we're going to respond and bomb Berlin. And so the British bomb Berlin, and Hitler's like, well, we can't have that happen, so now I'm going to just bomb London into submission. And so this is where you get the blitz over London. Um, but uh, that just galvanizes the British. It doesn't demoralize them. It says, hey, we're going to stand up to this crazy dude with a weird mustache uh, that he stole from Charlie Chaplin. And um, they stand up, and they win the war because 
Uh, also, one new technology that was around at this time was radar. So it allowed them to detect the planes coming early so they could get their planes up sooner and get them up off the ground and, and fight um, in the skies. Um, but yeah, uh, Britain's going to be alone until 41 when the U.S. Uh, jumps into the war uh, in December. So it's really not going to be until 42 when they get the relief. And um, uh, really what's, uh, what's then going to happen is the, the British and the U.S. will join forces. They'll take out Africa. Then they'll go take on Italy uh, and march through Italy. And then they'll eventually go, finally in 1944, uh, attack the mainland. Uh, and uh, attack France and then try to push into Germany. Uh, the whole time that was going on, the Soviets were dying on the Eastern Front, uh, just getting wiped out. And this is where most of the casualties in World War I are, or World War II, sorry, are, is on the Eastern Front. Uh, you have uh, tens of millions on either side dying, uh, with Russia taking the most casualties, and uh, the worst of the fighting being around uh, Stalingrad. Uh, but Stalingrad is going to be the um, turning point in the war uh, even though it's early on it's going to take uh, a lot longer um, Stalingrad uh, happens or ends in I want to get the date for you guys Battle of Stalingrad uh, sorry I've got to look it up on Google uh, but uh, it becomes a turning point in the war uh, by 1943 um, once the Soviets have won that uh, Germany is now in full retreat pretty much they try to resist that and try to go back on the offensive but uh, their blitzkrieg had stalled um, Blitzkrieg was again their their lightning warfare, and once that gets stalled, uh, they don't have the resources to to man this or to keep that going. Um, they didn't have the oil supplies. They tried to push into from North Africa, uh, where they'll eventually get kicked out of. They were trying to push into the Middle East. Uh, that didn't happen. Um, so they don't they don't secure the resources they need to to keep this going. So uh, very similar to Japan, uh, both Germany and Japan will will lose primarily because of a lack of resources that they have to actually fight the war. Um, uh, again, the U.S. And, and what the U.S. was gifted with and also what the Soviet Union had uh, with their oil reserves and the industrialization done under uh, Joseph Stalin uh, allows them to outlast uh, the Germans. Um, you could almost think of it, if you like boxing, you can think of uh, Muhammad Ali and his rope-a-dope. Uh, they take the shots, uh, but uh, eventually by round uh, 13, 14, 15, and however long boxing matches go, um, you start to, they've worn themselves down and now you can go and take them out. So, um, <coughs> that's, that's primarily the war. I know I didn't go into many, uh, specific things. Um, I should go in and cover a couple here. Um, again, there's, there's the North African campaign where the Americans get involved there. Uh, then they go into Italy, then they go into, uh, mainland Europe, going through France and through, uh, to Germany. Uh, the big thing to know, like of, of the battles, um, would be, the Battle of, uh, or not the Battle of, but D-Day, uh, which was June 6, 1944, which is an amphibious invasion uh, leading to a beachhead in France, uh, which used a lot of deception to make that possible. And then um, the Battle of the Bulge, uh, which is the last counterattack by the uh, Germans in um, the Western Front um, to try to stop the American advance and the British advance. Uh, in the Eastern Front, uh, the main one to know is Stalingrad, and there's there's another there's a tank battle um but uh, it's it's the largest tank battle in history but i can't i can't remember what it is off the top of my head but you don't really need to know that one um if you remember stalingrad and uh leningrad um leningrad was the siege of what used to be saints petersburg and that holds out um 
those all kind of hold out and install the German advance. Uh, the main tank battle that uh, did it was the Battle of Kursk. Uh, that was the largest tank battle in history. Uh, but again, I don't see you being asked at anything like that on the test. Um, jumping back to the Pacific Theater then. Uh, so um, the strategy there, the Americans dive into this. Uh, they're hit hard with Pearl Harbor, but Pearl Harbor really didn't take any major damage to the Americans. Um uh, yeah, a couple ships go down, the Arizona being one of the most famous ones, uh, but our, our aircraft carriers don't go down, and those are the most critical uh, ships to have. And we're able to hold on to ours for most of the, the war. We don't lose very many, and that's what allows us to really win the Pacific battle. Uh, but uh, we start to th see things being turned around um, at Guadalcanal. Uh, that's the first stopping of the Japanese advance. And then uh, Midway is the real turning point where we wipe out a huge chunk of the Japanese Navy. Uh, and the, the people that we took out there were primarily the ones that had done Pearl Harbor. And then uh, we push into the Philippines. We take back the Philippines. Um, we'll then get into Okinawa uh, and Iwo Jima. Actually, Iwo Jima comes before Okinawa. But uh, essentially what we were doing was jumping from island to island. And this was a strategy known as island hopping. And... Um, it was developed by the Marines and uh, General MacArthur to go and and take back the uh, lost territory of the Japanese and also not have to fight for every island. If we would have done that, casualties would have been a lot more. Um, but uh, we decided to jump around Japanese forces and just cut them off and, and isolate them, and then they'd starve them, we'd starve them out. Um, and... <coughs> Um, so we eventually get to Okinawa and when we have Okinawa, the fighting is so bloody there. There are so many casualties, um, uh, upwards of 90% of the Japanese soldiers die because instead of, uh, being taken alive or as prisoner, uh, they decide to commit seppuku, which we saw with the jet, with the samurai, uh, back in the day. Um, they see that it's dishonorable and that, um, even civilians see it as dishonorable to be taken as, uh, captives to Americans because they're told that, uh, we're demons and we're going to eat them and, 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 and rape the women and children and stuff like that. So, uh, we decide that that's not the best course of action if we go and invade Japan, because now you're talking about a huge chunk of the Japanese civilian population is going to kill themselves, uh, along with, uh, the heavy casualties that the Americans are going to take for fighting inch by inch through Japan and the high casualties that the Japanese military will take. And so we decided to drop the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which end it. Um, and these weren't the first bombs we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and they're actually not even the deadliest ones. Uh, the deadliest ones were the incendiary bombs that we used uh, in Tokyo and other major cities. Uh, but uh, the, the shocking thing with the nuclear bombs is it's in an instant and... Uh, the devastation caused by just one bomb was was significant. And uh, so you'll get a debate afterwards of whether or not was the use of atomic bombs justifiable. And it's hard to say, uh, it, it's a hard question to ask or, or answer. Uh, looking at it during the time period, um, wanting to end the war as quickly as possible and whatnot was a very... Um, uh, was a major thing that they were looking to do. And so you're going to look for any means necessary because, again, we're using total war in, in this war just like we saw in World War I. Um, uh, would the Japanese surrender in a few days anyways? Some people argue that in hindsight, but in in the moment you can't see that stuff. So um, it, it kind of comes down to you and your personal opinion there and whether you think the, the use of atomic weapons was okay or not. Uh, but it, it definitely did change things. And the one lucky thing with it is we haven't used them since then. So we've seen how destructive they are that we haven't used them since then. And maybe that would be something that could have happened if we didn't use them 
because they might have came up as a as, as a thing to use during the Cold War. So um, let's let's go into wrapping this up, uh, at least wrapping up World War II. So the outcomes of the war: about 60 million people died uh, throughout. Uh, that's six times higher than World War One, and 30 million of those 60 million, roughly, are civilians. Uh, this is a new level of warfare that hasn't been seen uh, since any other time in history and hasn't been seen since then and hopefully won't be seen again. Um, the the new technologies that are used, uh, you've got uh, airplanes that are much uh, more powerful, much nimbler. You have bombers that can go in and do stuff. You have the first jets coming about. You have the first missiles uh, with uh, the V, the, the rockets. Um, I can't remember what they were called. V2. I don't know if they were V2s though. V1s uh, from the from Germany. Uh, you have the atomic bomb. You have machine guns, uh, handheld machine guns now, semi-automatic, full automatic, all that stuff being used. Uh, new tanks. Uh, again, new mobile uh, vehicles and so or, or, or heavily armored vehicles and stuff like that. Um, uh, going back to the deaths or the reason that, I mean, that's really one of the major reasons why you have those, uh, all those deaths is because of those new, um, uh, those new weapons. Um, 40% of the deaths are going to be in the Soviet Union. So that's 25 million. Um, and, uh, the Nazis really wanted to try to get rid of all the Russians. They hated the Russians. They viewed them as dirty. Uh, they viewed them as communists. So again, uh, especially dirty. Um, China is going to have 15%. Uh, a majority of that or a huge chunk of that is going to be um, in or during the rape of Nanjing where 200, 300,000 uh, Chinese are going to be uh, killed by the inhumane conditions uh, that, ja- that the Japanese put them through. Um, and um, <coughs> uh, what else? We have the Holocaust that happens in Germany that leads to 6 million dead. Um uh, and that's just Jews. You have uh, over that another couple of million. Uh, so it's about eight, I think eight to ten million uh, total for the the Holocaust in it. Uh, and that comes mostly from death camps and labor camps, uh, but also then the the extermination attempts uh, by the the SS or the um, the Nazi um, kind of uh, not, not secret police group, but um, the, their elite group uh, that tried to eliminate them. Um, this uh, Holocaust will lead to the creation of Israel uh, in 1947, and it will lead to the UN uh, saying that no more genocide should happen ever again. I'll get into the UN here in a second. Uh, but unfortunately, that statement, um, as you hopefully already know, is not true. Uh, there have been genocides since then, but the UN and the world has not wanted to act on those. Uh, there shouldn't be another genocide. There shouldn't be the current issue going on in Myanmar today. Um, but it is, and it comes down to when are people going to stand up and when are governments going to stand up to try to stop these types of things? Because until that happens, these things are going to still happen. Sorry for getting on the soapbox there, but, um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I brought up the UN, the United Nations is created. That's to replace the League of Nations and the U S actually joins it this time. And, uh, that's there to give the world a forum to say and complain about things and try to stop major conflicts be- from becoming really, really big uh, wars uh, or conflicts that lead to a lot of death and destruction like World War II did. Uh, we're also going to see the rise of two major superpowers. Uh, the U.S. was rising as a superpower after World War I. Uh, they've cemented it after World War II, and the Soviet Union is now a superpower. And they become the, the view for the communist world. Uh, they carry the communist flag. The U.S. carries the democratic flag. Um, 
we'll see communism spread then to places like China, Vietnam, North Korea, um, uh, from this time period uh, with the Soviet Union trying to get influence in those areas. And the U.S. tries to resist that and tries to promote capitalism and democracy. Um, we're also going to see by the 60s, all the Europeans are going to lose their colonies because they don't have the manpower. They're exhausted from the world wars to maintain their uh, empire. So they just kind of give up on it and let them go. Uh, unfortunately, they don't set them up too much. We're going to see the consequences of that here next um, or later on in this unit. And um, we also see them other, some other global organizations come up, uh, not just the UN, but things like the World Health Organization, the World Monetary Fund, um, or the International Monetary Fund, I should say, uh, the World Bank, uh, things like that to help facilitate um, uh, uh, more interconnectedness in the world to help uh, prevent a, a world war from happening. And so trying to get money to people, loans to different countries that need it to keep them from turning to fascism and things like that. Um, so one of the greatest examples we can then see that taking place is in Europe. Um, Europe is absolutely destroyed by uh, this war. Uh, China is also, Korea is also, um, and and Japan is also. But uh, we're going to focus mainly on, um, uh, well, let's go with Japan first, and then we'll go back to Europe because that's going to take a little bit longer. Uh, U.S. helps Japan recover on its own. Uh, we occupy it from 45 to 52 and, and give it loans and help rebuild uh, its economy and uh, help them create a new government that's more democratic, that, that shouldn't be uh, able to go over to the militarism. We also ban them from having a, a military uh, for other, other than for defensive purposes. That's why I see the U.S. doing a lot of actions with Japan because we're their main protection because they don't have a super strong military because, well, they're just there for protection. We're there to protect them too. And um, we really try to keep them from uh, converting to communism uh, because of their closeness to uh, the Soviet Union and China. Um, now, uh, going back to Europe, Europe is the main area that we're worried about communism taking over uh, because that's where we had a lot of allies. That's where a lot of things are going. Uh, that's where the major global economies were at. And um, we don't want to see Europe collapse. <coughs> and so uh, what happens is uh, the U.S. Uh, creates something called the Marshall Plan, uh, which is there to infuse billions and billions and billions of dollars to uh, the Europeans to help them rebuild uh, and um, make life better so that communism can't take over. So they go and say, oh, communism is actually a good way to do this. So um, what happens is uh, the Marshall Plan sends it to anyone that's going to be a democracy and sponsor capitalism. We even offer it to the Soviets and they say, no, we're not playing that game. And uh, the Soviets prevent it from going to any of their satellite uh, countries, places like Poland, Ukraine, stuff like that. Um, but anywhere that's kind of uh, in between. So uh, we'll see that happen with um, Greece and um, Turkey. Uh, the U.S. will sponsor them and help them and prevent a depression from uh, slipping in there. Uh, we'll see it go to Britain, we'll go to France, it'll go to Western Germany, uh, it'll go to Italy. Um, any of those regions that, that could use the money, we, we give it to them, or the U.S. gives it to them to help them recover. And uh, by the 1970s, Europe is fairly well rebuilt, um, and you can still see the effects of it today. Europe is, if you combine all the European nations together, uh, they are the largest economy in the world. Uh, the U.S. would be second. China would be third. Uh, but they're not all really considered together, or I should say the European Union together. Uh, but uh, they're not all together, so the U.S. is the largest. But um, 
that's because the Europeans are divided, uh, as we've seen throughout history. Um, one final thing to, to leave off with here, to make sure that these countries are then protected and not uh, going to be invaded by the Soviets, uh, the U.S. creates something called NATO, which I brought up earlier uh, in the first one with the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Uh, but that's a alliance to protect any of those uh, countries that don't want to be Soviet um, or a Soviet satellite state or communist uh, to protect them from Soviet aggressions. Uh, in response, the USSR creates or the Soviet Union creates their uh, version, the Warsaw Pact. And um, that one will disappear after the Soviet Union falls, but NATO is still around uh, today. So that's uh, World War One, World War Two, and the Great Depression and the rise of fascism all in a nutshell. Um, one thing to note with fascism, since I just brought that up and I didn't really bring that up, is um, that the effect of it is, is we really try to push that down. The, the global um, scene tries to push down fascism uh, for the most part uh, in, in Europe, in the developed world. Uh, we're going to see a different take on that when we get to um, decolonization and the, uh, the Cold War and what happens between the U.S. and the Soviet Union and trying to control... Uh, different regions or bring different regions under their influence. So uh, we'll be seeing that in um, a week or two or though. So uh, that's it for, for the global conflicts.